Good afternoon. It's a joy and a blessing to be here. Praise God for the uh, opportunity that he's given us to be a spiritual family, uh, to be a, a body, to be his body, uh, and to be able to spend time, time such as this remembering all that he has done for us and encouraging one another as we seek to serve him. Today, the resurrection of Christ is on many people's minds. Um, throughout our nation, many people are, are celebrating that. And while we don't see anywhere in the pages of our New Testament where the early church celebrated Easter uh, or kept any yearly commemoration of the empty grave, uh, there is a sense in which every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Um, as we gather together to remember Jesus' death and the Lord's Supper, we, we do so on the Lord's Day, uh, the first day of the week, the day in which Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, and so we, we really never fully remember his death without also remembering his victory over death, without remembering uh, the resurrection. Uh, and while we don't talk about that every Sunday, uh, and we may not talk about it every uh, Easter Sunday, uh, I do want to take a little bit of time to, to think about the resurrection today. And we're not so much going to retell the story of the resurrection as focus on the impact, the effect that it should have in our lives. One of my favorite passages uh, about the resurrection doesn't even use the word resurrection, um, but it's a passage that Luke just read for us here in Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. I want to read that again um, in this light. Verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You know, certainly Jesus' death, his atoning sacrifice, uh, provides us with cleansing, um, provides us with, with that redemption. But Jesus didn't just suffer our death. He didn't just pay the price. He had victory over death. He conquered the grave. He destroyed the one who had the power of death, we're told. He, he rendered powerless the one who had the power of death, so that we might not any longer be enslaved to the fear of death. We as disciples of Jesus Christ are free from the fear of death. Isn't that a, a magnificent statement? Are, are we truly free from the fear of death though? You know, Fear uh, is something that, um, that we often do struggle with. Uh, fear of death, you think about the past several years that we've dealt with this pandemic. Um, certainly, death uh, is a very present reality uh, to us, especially uh, for the brethren here who remembered uh, the, the passing of, of Devin uh, just earlier this week. Um, Death is, is painful. Death is hard. And it's an unavoidable reality that we face. 
you know, sometimes things happen uh, that, that bring it to the forefront of our minds. People close to us pass away. We, we see tragedies strike um, where many lives are claimed. But, but the fact is, death is an ever-present reality. Um, perhaps sometimes we push it to the back, we don't want to think about it. But while we have very few guarantees in life, there is one thing that we can guarantee 100% for every single person in this room, and that is that we are going to die, or at least we're going to pass from this life, right? Um, this life is going to come to an end. There is no doubt about it. Every single one of us are going to die. And we need to be willing to confront that reality head on. As Christians, though, Jesus gives us victory over that death. We are free from its fear, free from its oppressive power over us. I, I want us to consider today, how does that work? If, if I don't feel that freedom from the fear of death, if I still feel that, that death is something that, that kind of looms over me, um, how can I find that freedom? How can I be free from its fear? Well, let's first understand how the fear of death enslaves us. The bondage of sin and the bondage of death are closely tied together within the scriptures. Death is really the power that sin exercises over us. Think about it this way. If, if somebody came along and put a gun up to your head, they, they wouldn't have to put handcuffs on you. They, they wouldn't have to you know, put you in prison. All of a sudden, you're their prisoner. Why? Because the fear of death is enslaving you, right? You, you might be, you know, in some of these uh, movies that, that uh, you may watch, you know, somebody might be sitting out on a, a park bench uh, out in the middle of a bunch of people. But if they have a, a bomb strapped to them, suddenly they're a prisoner. They don't have that freedom. Why? Well, because the fear of death is enslaving to us. And there are other aspects to which sin enslaves us. Uh, certainly Satan uses uh, our lust and desires to enslave us as well to sin. And Jesus empowers us to break the chains of, of addiction and overcome temptation. But the most foundational power that sin uses over us is the power of death. Because Jesus can, can break the, the shackles, can let us out of the prison, but if we still have the, the bomb strapped to us, we're, we're not truly free, are we? Look, look with me in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, in verse 6 through 11. And I want us to notice the language of slavery and dominion here in this passage. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 6. We read, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For who has, he who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Do you see that language there in in verse 9? It talks about being enslaved to sin. And then in verse, uh, sorry, verse uh, 6, it uses the word enslaved to sin. In verse 9, it talks about death no longer having dominion over us. That enslavement, that dominion is really one in the same. But what we're promised here in Romans 6 is that if we have died with Christ, if we have crucified self, we have buried the old man of sin with Jesus, as he talks earlier uh, in verse 1 through 4. If we've joined him in his death, then we, along with him, are freed from death's dominion and thus the slavery of sin. As long as death is hanging over our heads, we're in bondage. But once we've left death behind us, having been crucified with Christ, having buried it in the waters of baptism, it doesn't matter if Satan pulls the trigger anymore. It doesn't matter if he detonates the bomb. It's not strapped to us. He doesn't have a hold of us. Death no longer has dominion because our sins have been nailed to the cross with Jesus. And so Jesus, by taking on our death, um, frees us from this fear, from this bondage that sin uh, exercises over us. But how exactly did Jesus accomplish that? In Romans, uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 that we read a moment ago, it says, through death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death. I think it's significant that Jesus did not solve this problem from without, from a distance. Jesus solved this problem from within. Uh, He didn't just defuse the bomb or disarm the gunman. He took the bullet for us. And yet Jesus didn't just suffer death in our place. He conquered it. Sometimes uh, in evangelistic studies, I, I use this illustration. You may have heard it before. Uh, imagine for a moment that, that you are in a long line. You have two lines, in fact, that are leading up to two electric chairs. We're all condemned to death. But at the front of one of these lines stands Jesus. And he sits down and is strapped to the electric chair and he overloads all the circuits and he breaks death. Now everyone that is following him, is set free. Jesus took on death, but he could not be held by it. He had victory over it, and he gives us that hope as well. You you may have heard the illustration before of of somebody being in the belly of the beast. What what does that mean? There there are some ancient myths and stories that, that give us this illustration of somebody being swallowed by some monster. And yet... When it seems like they're gone and when it seems like they're dead, from within the belly of the beast, they take out their sword, they carve them out from the inside and emerge victorious. That really is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, in a sense, was swallowed by death, but it couldn't hold him. Jesus broke forth from the grave. Acts chapter 2 and verse 24 on the day of Pentecost. In verse 24, Peter says, God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible for Jesus to be held by the power of death. Think about the fact that when we talk about death, when we talk about Jesus taking on our death, what kind of death are we talking about? What kind of death were we condemned to? Well, we were condemned to a spiritual death, not just a separation of the soul from the body, but a separation from the so- of the soul from the source of life, from God himself. 
And what we deserve, the price that, that we rightly had to pay for our own sins was eternal separation from the Lord. And so if Jesus is going to pay the price for our sins, how is he going to do that? We, we would think, well, if, if he really is going to take my place, he's going to have to be eternally separated from the Lord. That's what I deserve, right? But that's not what we see. Why? Because Jesus didn't just suffer our death. He conquered our death. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus could not be separated from God for all eternity. It's impossible. He is God. He broke the powers of death and emerged victorious. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 16, when it talks about Jesus as our high priest, it says that he uh, has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Isn't that amazing? Jesus lives today to make intercession for us because his life was indestructible. (laughs) He could not be held by the power of death. He could not be separated from God, being deity himself. uh, He destroyed the one who had the power of death. He destroyed death itself. Death itself can be destroyed. Jesus cannot. When Jesus and death got into the ring, only one was going to emerge victorious. And Jesus, when he burst forth from the grave, emerged the victor. And when he left the tomb, death died that day. That's how Jesus defeated death for us, through the belly of the beast, through suffering death on our behalf. And yet, because of his deity, because of his sinless perfection, emerging victorious and giving us hope of following him in the same path, path through death to victory. But how does Jesus then free us from this enslavement to death, from this fear of death? What does that mean for us? If Jesus had ha- has had victory over death and the power of death, what should I expect now? Well, Jesus freeing me from the fear of death doesn't mean that I'm not going to suffer death, right? We already said every single one of us here um, are going to die. Either that or Jesus is going to come again. Um, We're going to pass from this life one way or another. And it doesn't mean that our physical bodies are not going to decay, that they're not going to, to suffer as that departure gets closer. It doesn't mean that we should just go about uh, throwing caution to the wind and, you know, uh, we don't have to fear death and so we can be reckless and, you know, put other people around us at harm because death doesn't matter. Yet for the Christian, death means something different than it means for the world. While we still are going to suffer physical death, while those around us may still uh, suffer death, Uh, it is able to be seen from an entirely different perspective. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. 1 Corinthians 15. Here is a passage where Paul focuses extensively on the resurrection of Jesus. But as he gets to the end of chapter and focuses on what that means for us, uh, notice what he says starting in verse 54. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death 
is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death no longer holds the power, holds the sting that it once had. It may strike, but it cannot uh, truly destroy us. It cannot defeat us because we can look at death as a victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. And that's why Paul can look at death as nearing the end of his race. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. For the Christian, yes, we will expect to suffer death. But that's the finish line. It doesn't mean defeat. In fact, it means the exact opposite. It means victory. It means going home to be with our Lord. It means awaiting a time that we will be raised in an indestructible and imperishable body to be eternally with our Lord. And so it doesn't mean that we're not going to experience pain. Uh, death is a painful experience. But so is childbirth. <laughs> and nobody sits around mourning over the pain of childbirth, do they? No, because there was new life. We as Christians, while we mourn for ourselves, while we mourn for the loss that we feel, we can look to the one who has gained new life, who has gone on to be with the Lord as a joyous thing. The pain is ours. The loss is ours, not theirs. And so while we may experience great loss, Jesus himself wept as he saw that that aching hearts of loss at, at Lazarus's passing, that sorrow can be swallowed up in victory. The one who has passed on is now experiencing more joy than they have ever experienced in this life. And so for them, it is not a sorrowful experience. When death ceases to be a weapon in the hands of Satan and becomes a tool in the hands of God, it doesn't mark our defeat. In fact, it marks our finest hour. <laughs> it's when we get to go home and be with him. Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 24, talks about his own attitude towards death. He says in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. In fact, if, if I had to choose selfishly, I'd really like to go ahead and to depart and be with him. But I know... God still has work for me to do. Brethren, is that our attitude? You know, do, do we, like the world around us, fear death? Uh, want to postpone it as, as long as, as, as possible uh, out of selfish reasons? Um, or do we selfishly desire the time that we're able to be freed from this corruptible world to go and be with our Lord? That's what Jesus has empowered us 
to have. What he has empowered us to see in death. To see it as our finish line. To see it as our crown. To see it as the opportunity that we can go and receive the reward that we've been laboring for and striving for. Yes, death is difficult for us. Yes, loss is real. Grief is something that Jesus has compassion for. Let's make sure we're not grieving like the world grieves. Let's make sure that as it applies to me and my death, that's my finish line. That's where I get to go and be with the Lord. And so that's what Jesus has offered us, what he has accomplished for us through his victory over the grave. But the question that I want us to ask in the remainder of our time today is, do we still fear? When we think about death, how do we approach it? How does it affect us emotionally when we think about our own death? And sometimes, though Jesus has promised us and accomplished for us a freedom from the power of death, a freedom from the fear of death, we're not enslaved to it any longer, sometimes we still feel that. Sometimes we're not fully taking advantage of this freedom that he's offered us. Why? There may be many different reasons, but I want to suggest three things that we can challenge ourselves with today as we consider fear of death. First of all, do I truly believe? Turn your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14 This is where the Israelites are getting ready to enter into the promised land, right? And God has shown his power, parting the Red Sea, bringing them out of Egypt uh, through the 10 plagues, guiding them through the wilderness, providing for them water from the rock, providing for them manna. And he brings them up to the promised land here. But when they send in the 12 spies, remember, many of them come back and they say, you know, the, the people of this land were, were big and powerful. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. Um, we, we would be better off if we went back to Egypt. Look, look at what we read here in Numbers 14, starting in verse 5. After that response from the people, it says in verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us." Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. You see what's going on here? Here, these people say, we can't do it. Uh, We're just going to be destroyed if we go in and attack this land. We'd be better off if we go to Egypt. Um, And Moses and Aaron and and Caleb and Joshua say, what are you guys thinking? Look at the land. It flows with milk and honey. God is with us. He's getting ready to give us what he's promised us for hundreds of years. 
our promised land. And yet, because of your unbelief, because you're despising the Lord, you see those words in God's mouth in verse 11? How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? Why were they fearful? Because they didn't trust in the Lord. Is that us? You know, if death is our finish line, if it's our promised land, if we look forward to the time that we get to go and be with the Lord, then why would we be fearful of that? Well, maybe like the people of Israel, we're not trusting in him. We don't truly believe that he's going to fulfill what he's promised. That that's not real to us. Are we walking by faith or just by sight? You know, as far back as we can remember, we have lived in in these bodies. We've had blood pumping through these veins, air in, in these lungs, right? This is all that we have experienced. This is all that we know. And sometimes we, we become so comfortable with that. This is the only reality that, that, that we see um, that the concept of, of passing on to something greater and better and more glorious, uh, that sounds quite scary, right? Because this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I'm familiar with. But for those who truly have faith in the Lord, We need to recognize that that what is not seen, what has not yet been experienced, is much greater than anything that we know, than anything that we can fathom. Do we have that faith? Do we have that trust in the Lord? If so, then we're going to look on death as uh, Joshua and Caleb looked on the, the, the giants of Canaan. God has that taken care of. This is our promised land when we get to go and be with him. Maybe I need to strengthen my faith in God's promises beyond the grave. Or maybe the reason that I fear death is because my treasure is not in heaven, but here on earth. Perhaps I'm reluctant to leave this life because I built my home and my treasure here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, 20 and 21 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This world that we live in is corruptible. These bodies that we inhabit are corruptible. We see it every day as as we grow older. Uh, we, we see the houses that we've built, uh, you know, slowly de- degrade. We see the world around us crumbling. And yet, sometimes that's what we want to cling on to. Why? You know, we look forward to a place where rust doesn't destroy, moth doesn't eat, thieves do not break in and steal. I think about the, the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, verse 20 and, 21 and 22 Remember, um, he comes wanting to know what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Uh, And Jesus ends up saying to him, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And how does the rich young ruler respond to that? 
It says he goes away sorrowful. Jesus just promised him treasure in heaven and he goes away sorrowful. Does that seem a little odd to you? Why? Well, because he was more attached to the treasure that he had here in this world, the treasure that was going to corrode and was going to break down and he wasn't going to be able to hold on to. And he would rather cling to that than the treasure that Jesus had to offer him. Is that us? We're told in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is our heart? Is our heart in this world? Or can we truly say our heart is with the Lord? You know, we might think, well, Grady, I, I really don't have a whole lot of treasure. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not that rich of a person. My bank account, you, you could look at it. My treasure is not here. Well, it may not be our finances. Um, you know, however rich you are, however much you have on this earth, uh, it's not worth putting your, your, your faith and your trust and your emphasis in. But maybe you know, what we struggle with is not financial, so to speak, as much as, you know, our, our family, our friends, our home, the, the things that, that we have, have built here in this life, the goals that we pursued and, and the things that we've accomplished. Maybe those are the things that we've become attached to. Do we recognize what the scripture is, is telling us though? Those things, however important they may be, they're not as important as the Lord. They shouldn't be. Um, and it, it's good and right that we want to be here with our children, that we want to be here um, to help raise them, to help them know the Lord, to help influence other people. That, that's really what Paul was getting at. Uh, if, if I remain here in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. There's still things for me to do. And it may be that that's our attitude, and that's, that's a commendable attitude. But if I fear the concept of death, that I'm placing something in greater importance than I am the Lord. There needs to be nothing in my life that is more important than my relationship with him. Jesus told us we need to leave father and mother. Uh, we need to love him more than any relationship in this earth. If we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, there should be nothing that we desire more than going home to be with him. We need to love him more than life itself. And if we do, then we can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. But perhaps I can't say to die is gain because I can't say to live is Christ. Perhaps the reason I still fear death is because I'm not prepared for it. If I'm living without Christ from day to day, then I'm going to die without him as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. Here we read, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
Why does John say we fear? He says those who fear have not been perfected in love. If we truly love the Lord the way that we need to, uh, love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then there's no reason to fear. Fear involves punishment, involves separation from him. No, love, being perfected in love, means that I look forward to going and being with him. He said in verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. That's another way of saying to live is Christ. If we are walking with Christ from day to day, if we are abiding in fellowship with him, then we can have that hope. Then we can see death as a gain. First John chapter 2 and verse 28 earlier in the letter, uh, in verse, chapter 2, verse 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. How do we have confidence? How do we not shrink in shame from his coming? He says, abide in him. For living day to day in fellowship with him, we can have that hope. Think about it this way. Um, I don't don't know about your experiences as a child uh, growing up, but but if you hear the phrase, daddy's home, what what does that mean? You know, for me, most of the time at least, uh, you know, if if dad had been gone uh, on a gospel meeting somewhere and he came back and daddy was coming home, that was a joyous thing. I I get to spend time with him again. I've missed him this entire week that he's been away. Daddy's home is a time to rejoice, right? But there were times where daddy's home was not a joyous thing, (laughs) where I hadn't acted the way that I needed to during the day. And there were some things that dad was going to need to talk to me about um, that needed to be corrected. Daddy's home meant something different dependent, dependent on how I was living in that day, right? What about us? When we think about the Lord coming to take us home to be with him, is that a fearful thing or a joyous thing? It may be that how we feel about that has a lot to say about where we are spiritually. Is that going to be a time of punishment? Or is that a time of fellowship and rejoicing, of joy greater than anything we've ever experienced? Hebrews 10, verse 26 and 27 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. If we know that we're living in sin, that we're not walking in the light, but we're walking in the darkness, that, that the way that we're, we're acting uh, from day to day, uh, maybe... Uh, you know, where nobody else sees it, that, that we know we're not walking with the Lord. That Jesus' sacrifice is not cleansing us. We're, we're, we're guilty of that sacrifice. And what we await is a fearful expectation of judgment. I don't want to beat around the bush about that. That's real. God tells us that, that we might not have to experience it. That's not what God wants for us. He wants us to go home eternally to be with him. 
but we have to live with him. We have to hand our lives over to him. We have to die with him so that death can be something in our past, not our future. We can be crucified with Christ, bury the old man of sin in the waters of baptism to be raised as a new creation, pure, holy, undefiled with God's spirit dwelling within us. Is that you? Is that me? If you knew that later on today, when you go home, you were going to die, how would you feel about that? You know, it's legitimate that that we would be concerned for our family, uh, that we'd be concerned about how that affects other people. But, But what about me? How would I feel about that for my soul? If it's a fearful thing, then there's something that needs to change. Do you truly believe what God has promised you? Is your treasure here on earth or in heaven where it will never corrode? Are you prepared to meet the Lord? If you can't say uh, that you are free from the fear of death, uh, we want to help you make whatever change needs to take place. Uh, You know what it is. We don't. But if you'll reach out, if you'll reach out to these brethren here, um, we want to point you to the Lord. He's the one who has the strength. He's the one who has the power to free us from that. Um, If there's anything that we can do to help you uh, point you towards him, help you find that freedom in him. Won't you let us do that uh, today? Won't you reach out um, however you need to and let it be known to these brethren? If there's any way that we can help you in your relationship with the Lord, won't you make it known at this time as we stand and sing together?